Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I'm Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is The God of Angel Armies. And just so you know, you are always loved and you are always welcome here. We love to start with funny stories because the Lord loves to hear his children laugh. One of my children is definitely more adventurous than the others. It's Landon. And I was in the kitchen one time and I heard this screaming happening from the garage. And I go out into the garage and Landon is probably like 10 at the time. And he's on his belly reaching underneath this spider webby gross workbench. And he's like moving his hands all around and he's like screaming in delight. Okay. And finally he's like, I got it. And he crawls himself back out of there and holds up a garden snake, a garden snake. I was like, what? And he was so excited that he caught the snake. He had, had been squirming around in the garage and had gone to that gross place. And he just didn't even care about the spiders or the spider webs. He just went under there and grabbed it and wasn't even worried about it biting him. Just has that spirit of adventure. And one time I came home and he was probably seven at the time. He was up on this ladder, like a pretty tall ladder. It's like, I don't know, 12 foot tall. He's at the top of this ladder. He had gotten it out of the garage, set it up next to a tree. We have like a forest in our backyard and was cutting down a branch with a saw. And I'm like, Landon, what are you doing? And he looked at me like I was completely ridiculous and was like, Mom, I am hungry for s'mores. And I'm like, what does that have to do with cutting down a branch? And he's like, I need firewood. And mind you, there's dead branches everywhere in the forest, but that would have been way too easy. He's all about finding adventure. When I was pregnant with Aiden, so Landon is the one that's right above Aiden, Logan, who's our oldest and always been the rule follower, his constant prayer every night was, God, please let this baby not be like Landon, because Landon was so stressful and so adventurous. And when Logan got to third grade, again, just his desire is to please and make sure everyone's happy and definitely the rule follower. They were allowed to put anything they wanted on this little Christmas angel, and they were going to give that to Jesus. And so Logan's prayer intention as a third grader, when he could have asked God for anything, was, Dear God, please help Landon stay happy. Love, Logan. And so just in case any of you are raising or helping to raise really adventurous children— or you have the rule followers, or anywhere in between, just know you're not alone. I've been there, done that, and they end up growing up and being wonderful people, regardless of their design. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise, to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we always talk about our foundation. We have three things. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. 
We go to church on Sunday, and we're staying in a state of grace, so we're struggling with any serious sin that's going to prevent us from receiving all the graces that the Lord wants us to have. So we're getting to confession or self-help group or therapy, whatever it takes, so that the Lord can give out all those graces. And then we continue to build ourselves, build others, and build the church, but we always make sure we're hitting our foundation. We also talk about a crown jewel strategy, that we desire the Holy Spirit to be a part of everything we do, and we know that we're the crown jewel of God's creation. So we take the time to plan with the Holy Spirit to do that plan, to reflect upon that plan, and then to make adjustments each week. We're taking the time to do that because we're worth it. So today we're talking about the God of angel armies. So we know that before the creation of the earth and humankind, God created nine choirs of angels. And at some point, Satan was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. And in Revelation, there's the explanation of the archangel Michael defeating Satan. This is Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we know God eventually creates the world, and angels take their place in this world. And we can see all throughout Scripture the ways angels helped God and helped humans. So maybe some of you remember when that angel baked a cake for Elijah in 1 Kings 19. There was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was a hearth cake. I have no idea what a hearth cake is, but it sounds delicious. Maybe only angels can bake them. I don't know, but it sounds wonderful. Then there's the seraphim angel who purifies Isaiah's lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. With it, he touched my mouth. So it purifies his lips. And one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Tobit. And within that book has the archangel Raphael. And he's the one who took the prayers to heaven and healed. This is him speaking to Tobit. Tobit, when you and Sarah prayed to the Lord, I was the one who brought your prayers into his glorious presence. I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who stand in the glorious presence of the Lord, ready to serve him. He wanted me to come and help you. I did not come on my own, so sing God's praises as long as you live. But we also know that the fallen angels also took their place in this world. The Lord says to him, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And so when we're thinking about these two different types of angels, angels and demons, there's really different ways we can look upon evil. There's two camps. So there's one to believe that evil exists. We can just think, oh, it just doesn't exist. We're going to just not think about it at all. It just doesn't exist. That's an unhealthy camp. But then there's another unhealthy camp. There's an excessive focus on it, is to believe that Satan is an equal in power to God. Both of those are unhealthy. C.S. Lewis tells us, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So this is a really interesting statistic. I read it, I was like, oh my gosh. The Barna Group, it's like a respected research organization in the U.S., they conducted the survey on the spiritual beliefs and attitudes of Christians. 
And when they surveyed the Christians, 69% of them did not believe in evil or the devil. 69% did not believe in evil or the devil. And the enemy loves that, right? He loves when we don't believe he exists. So let's just ask the question, does he exist? Yes. How do we know? Through what Jesus says in scripture. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Well, does hell exist? Yes. How do we know? Through what Jesus says in scriptures. This is from Luke 16. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. I love that word, sumptuously. It wasn't a day where he didn't have this glorious meal, okay? And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. It's like, to make matters worse, not only did he have sores, dogs were licking him. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and he entered the netherworld, where he was in torment. So when Lazarus dies, he's taken to heaven by angels, and when the rich man dies, he's taken into hell. So thinking about hell and evil actually can feel uncomfortable. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to think about that. It's much easier to think about what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, the things that reflect God, right? And that should always be our first focus. We shouldn't have that excessive focus on evil, but it's important to have a basic understanding of the demons that come after us attempting to kill, rob, and destroy for we are not ignorant of his schemes, 2 Corinthians 2.11. So if we live in the camp where we just don't think evil exists, or maybe it's hard for us to believe it exists, we can actually ask for an increase in faith. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You can always ask for that. And so what does that mean? Faith is a gift that allows us to know things we otherwise couldn't know without the help of God. You've probably heard people talk about, you know, oh my gosh, that person walks in blind faith. That's actually the opposite. Faith can never be blind. It's a lens that allows us to see things the way they really are. We're actually seeing things through the eyes of God. And if you look around you right now, think about that. Look around you right now. There are at least twice as many persons as you can see. And Jesus tells us that each of us have a guardian angel. So you have a guardian angel beside you, right? But the angels are not the only other creatures beside us. There are at least twice as many persons as you can see. So having that faith enables us to know that we have an adversary, right? Faith enables us to know that we've been born into war. Father John Ricardo loves to remind us that we're not riding on this comfortable luxury liner. We are riding on a troop transport. We are on a battleship, right? So when we recognize who our adversary is, there's power in that. Satan rebelled against God and is now hideously filled with hate. The enemy is so horrific that it makes anything else that you think is somewhat bad in your life look like a nursery rhyme. He's that horrific. We don't play with or trifle with 
anything that opens a window to the enemy. But we also do not live in fear of him. St. Padre Pio says, The devil is like a rabid dog, tied up on, on a chain. Beyond the length of the chain, he cannot seize anyone. So I like to relate it to poison ivy. I know the impact of poison ivy. I am severely allergic to it. But it looks so unassuming. It just sits there with its cute little three leaves. But I know what comes from that, from the oil of those leaves, touches my skin, and I'll end up with itching, blisters, pain, and scars. I got it so bad last summer that I would wake up in the middle of the night with wet legs because I would be scratching so hard in my sleep, and my legs would be covered in blood. So I have all the scarring on my legs from that. I know the impact of what, what it does, but I'm not afraid of poison ivy. I know the pain that happens when, I'm, when I touch it, and I keep my distance. I warn my kids to keep their distance. My, my phrase is, leaves of three, let it be. Leaves of three, let it be. My kids know, like, stay away from the poison ivy. But I'm not living in fear of it. I just know I keep it at a distance. Just like when St. Padre Pio was saying, like, rabid dog on a chain. You keep your distance from the enemy. You don't get in his realm where he can attack you. So we're not afraid of Satan, right? We're not afraid of him. We have a healthy awareness, but we do not live in fear. He is a created being. He is not a demigod. He is not a demigod. We remember that our God, the one that calls us son or daughter, is a good, good father. And we are his beloved children. And in all of creation, what is most precious to God? The baby seals, they're super cute. The baby eagles, also super cute. What about the fuzzy puppies? Oh, so, so, so cute. But no, none of those things. What's most precious to God is us. He will never forsake us. We recognize we have been born into war, but we always remember to whom we belong. And he gives us his spirit to prepare us for battle. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. So in like 600 BC, so this is 600 years before Jesus was born, there's this Chinese military general. He has influenced military strategists for years. And he has this ability to know, kind of recognize how to know your enemy and how to plan and plan your, and create your strategy accordingly. And those same tactics, I think, can also be used in recognizing that we've been born into war. So what are tactics? So Sun Tzu, that's the author, one of the things he says is that if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will be defeated in every battle, okay? So it's important that we not only recognize the enemy, but we also recognize ourselves. Like, we have to know both, both persons, okay? Knowledge is power, and we must know who we are. Who are we? We are beloved children of a mighty king. That's who we are. What is our purpose? Why did God make us? Do you know? Why, why did he make you? What's your purpose? I have never found a better definition than what's listed in the Baltimore Catechism. God made us to know him, to love him, to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. 
because we want to know why. Why are we here? What's the point? We just keep getting up day after day and going to work and, and then what, what? What? What am I doing here? We are created to know him, to love him, to serve him in this world, and to be happy with him forever in heaven. That's why we exist. So another thing Sun Tzu says is, success in warfare is gained by carefully accommodating ourselves to the enemy's purpose. And that means we understand what the enemy's purpose is. We're recognizing, ooh, that's his purpose. That's what he wants to do. So what's Satan's purpose? What's, what's he want to do? It's the opposite of what the Baltimore Catechism tells us. He wants to prevent us from knowing God, loving God, serving God, and reaching heaven. Right? He wants to do the exact opposite. His purpose is the opposite of what God desires for us. So what do we know about the enemy? Okay, we talked about knowing ourselves, what our purpose is, right? What Satan's purpose is. Now, what do we know about the enemy? We know he does exist, right? We know he's a fallen angel. We know he's a murderer and a liar. Jesus says, he was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Okay? We know that he is tricky. Satan pays attention to our wounds and our weaknesses. He also pays attention to the areas of gift that we have, okay? He's going to use all of those. He's going to try to prevent the area of gift, and he's going to lean into those wounds and weaknesses because that gives him greater ability from living out, from us living out the beauty of our design and fulfilling our purpose, right? Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals, okay? So we know he's tricky, right? We know he knows our wounds and weaknesses. We also know that he recognizes our area of gift and he wants to prevent us from living out our purpose, okay? We also know that when we translate the word Satan, it means accuser. He loves to accuse us, right? Then he takes those accusations and creates further deception from them to make us doubt ourselves and even to doubt the goodness of God. Sun Tzu says, all warfare is based on deception, okay? And Satan is total deceiver, right? Total deceiver. For me, the lies that he says to me is like, you're a terrible mom. You are always making the same mistakes. Your kids are going to be screwed up because of you. You're weird. If people knew the truth about you, no one would even come near you. It's only a matter of time. You don't belong. You know, he tells us these lies over and over, trying to convince us to doubt the beauty of our design He'll lean into those wounds and weaknesses to make us walk in fear. And then he will try to block all those areas of gift that he sees in us. But we don't give him too much credit, right? We don't give Satan too much credit. He is just a created being. He is not God. He is not God. And God only permits Satan's work in correlation of the good he can bring from it, right? He will only permit Satan's work in correlation of the good he can bring from it. Catechism tells us, the power of Satan is nonetheless not infinite. He is only a creature, powerful from the fact that he is pure spirit, but still a creature. This is the important line of the catechism. He cannot prevent the building up of God's reign. He cannot prevent the building up of God's reign. And it's paragraph 395 if you want to look up the catechism. And so we want to look at some more of those weaknesses, okay? Yeah. Satan is prideful, okay? He cannot read our mind. He cannot read your mind. He can see your actions. He can look at your facial expressions. He hears your voice, but he cannot read your mind. 
He's also not creative. Holy Spirit's creative. Satan's not creative. He will use the same tricks and temptations and tactics over and over and over. So an example of this, my husband and I were going through a really difficult time in our marriage, and I just was just so done fighting about the same argument that we've had for 20 plus years. And I just looked at him and I said, Bill, I think we're both just too broken to be married. And he looked at me and he said, I think you're right. And we ended up, you know, moving past it. And I didn't have any thought that that statement I spoke was anything but truth. I really believed that that was true. And seven days after that statement was spoken, my friend texted me and said, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I was like, what's going on? She's like, my husband and I are fighting so badly. I just told him, I think we're both too broken to be married. And when she said that to me, I just was shook because I knew enemy's not creative. He uses the same lies, spirits over and over and over. I didn't know that that was a lie that the enemy had spoken. And I had not only believed, but spoken it out loud until my friend had the courage to actually text me and say it to me. I was like, oh my goodness, that was a lie of the enemy. And I told my husband, I met with her and her husband, told them, I was like, you know, he's just trying to destroy our marriages. We are not going to allow this. We were able to pray with one another and to lift one another up in that struggle. And that was beautiful. God allowed me to hear that lie. I was the one who chose to speak that lie. But he did it so that when I heard my friend speak to me, that he could bring all that healing. God allowed that lie to take place because he brought all that healing and prayer, and deep friendship from that. Like all the glory brought God brought from that struggle. He knew. He knew. And that's why he allowed Satan's lie to take place. So another war tactic from Sun Tzu is, he will win whose army is animated by the same spirit throughout all its ranks. So what's that mean? It's important that we're filled with the Holy Spirit throughout all of our ranks, right? We're born into war, but we never fight alone. We don't. We embrace our spiritual army, of course, right? Our guardian angels, our archangels. But we also embrace the small human army of other people that are seeking holiness. When we're able to discuss the struggles that we're experiencing in battle, when we can be honest and vulnerable, when we are bloody from that battle, when we can see our brothers and sisters struggling with the same enemy lies and techniques, it allows us to uncover, allows the God to unveil those tactics so that we can support one another in victory. God desires us to not only have that spiritual army, but he wants us to have a human army other friends who are seeking holiness, who are going for holiness, who know that they were born into war. The Lord wants that for you. First Timothy 6 says, but you men and women of God pursue righteousness, devotion, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. Compete well for the faith. So we're competing. We're advancing the kingdom. 
We're not holed up in a bunker in fear, waiting for some heavenly air raid to rescue us from the oppressive demonic forces, right? We're aware of Satan. We know his tactics, but we don't fear him. We're moving forward. We're advancing the kingdom because that's what God desires us to do. Because we know the war has already been won. It's already been won. We're beloved sons and daughters of a mighty king. And we walk in the worth and the authority that that title carries. The Lord is calling us to advance and to bring as many people with us as possible. So what prevents us from advancing the kingdom? I think these are some of the lies that prevent us. The enemy says, you've got plenty of time. You can talk about Jesus later. You can pray later. You don't need to pray right now. You can just pray later. Speak about God later. You don't need to speak about God right now. It'd, be, it'd make people uncomfortable. It'd be awkward. Why go out of your comfort zone now? You don't need to do that. Oh, yeah, just stay comfy in your little nice warm cave. You don't need to go outside your comfort zone. Live in faith later. You can do that later, right? These are the lies that keep us from advancing the kingdom. There's an army commander in scripture. His name's Naaman. And he is, you know, this powerful army commander. He's won many battles. He's very well respected, but he has leprosy. So this little slave girl gives him some advice. She says, the Israelite prophet, Elisha, can heal you. And so he listens to her. That little slave girl knew the power of God. That little slave girl knew she was called to speak out to an army commander, even though it probably was uncomfortable, right? That little slave girl knew she was called to compete well for the faith and to advance the kingdom. When people are hungry, when they're walking in faith, you can expect miracles to happen. Expect that God to show up. He will. So Naaman goes to meet Elisha, right? Elisha tells him rather dismissively, like, yeah, yeah, go, t- go bathe in the Jordan like seven times. And then just kind of brushes him off. Well, he's like this very well-respected commander. He is like offended, for one, because the Jordan River is like super gross and dirty. It's the dirtiest river around. He's also like... It can't be that simple, right? He's like offended because the instructions seem too simple. He feels totally disrespected by Alicia. And he is about to reject the blessing of healing because he didn't like the form it was taking. He didn't like what he had to do in order to receive the healing. Naaman was not happy with Alicia's instructions and leaves in a rage. What he didn't know is God does not always work according to our own expectations, right? God doesn't always work according to our expectations. I've been praying for a baby for my daughter and her husband, and it didn't come the regular way a baby would come. Through just a strange course of events, they were invited to be foster parents, and now they're fostering a beautiful little girl. And imagine if they would have said, no, actually, that's not what I want. And God's like, I want this blessing for you, but you have to say, yes, I will receive it. Now, that's really not what I want. I want this baby. I don't want that baby. It's like, will you take the blessing, even if it doesn't look like what you expected it to look like? And so that little baby has been such a blessing to our family. God almost never does what he, we think he's going to do or what we think he should do. 
God delights in surprising us. He just delights in it. He has a way of challenging our thoughts, our pride, our regular way of thinking about him. And with every act of faith that we make, he stretches us and changes us through obedience. There's this cell phone commercial. A long time ago, this guy walking around random places and saying, do you hear me now? Do you hear me now? Do you hear me now? And I always think when I'm at like a really difficult point where I'm like, oh man, I have to walk in faith in this one. I don't know, Lord, how you're going to make this work out, but I'm just trusting you. I feel like he's always saying, do you trust me now? Do you trust me now? Do you trust me now? Right? Because he's trying to stretch us. He's trying to encourage us to not think that we can limit him to this box. With every act of faith, he continues to stretch us and change us through our obedience. And we have to just be open. When we ask God for something, be open to how he desires to answer it. We don't actually have to put the limitations on that. Like, Lord, I'm really seeking this. However you wanted to bring it about, I'm open to that. But this is really what's on my heart. We should be open to how God desires to answer us in whatever way that was. And luckily, Naaman's servants convinced him to follow Elisha's direction. His servants had the faith to encourage him to be obedient. And so Naaman was humble enough to listen to those that surrounded him. That's why we need those holy friendships. We are dependent. We are created to be dependent upon one another. Naaman went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times at the word of Elisha, the man of God. His flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean of his leprosy. When Naaman went into that water, he was all in. The faith of that little slave girl to speak, the faith of his other servants to speak, led to Naaman's conversion. Faith lived out leads to the conversion of others. And he completely submerged himself into that dirty water. He demonstrated his complete obedience and submission to God in this act. And what happened? God not only healed him of his leprosy, his skin was restored so perfectly that it looked like a baby's skin. A battle warrior full of scars came up from dirty water with baby skin. He's miraculously healed through that one simple act of obedience. God never leaves anything partially done. If we are all in, God's all in as well. And that's why he deserves all the glory. This display of God's power awakens within Naaman the fact that Yahweh of Israel is the one true God. Naaman returned with his whole regimen to the man of God. On his arrival, he stood before Elisha and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha replied, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not take it. So this elated Naaman returns to Elisha and begs him to take payment, right? Elisha will not accept payment because he wants Naaman to know that his healing actually had nothing to do with him, but everything to do with the God of Israel. So Naaman's like, all right. And he makes the strange request. Naaman said, if you will not accept, please let me, your servant, have two mule loads of earth where I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. 
What is he doing? Why is he asking for dirt? Two mule loads of dirt. Why dirt? Naaman wanted the dirt from Israel because that was Israel's territory. That was Yahweh's territory. That dirt is Yahweh's domain. That's the holy ground. And he intended to worship Yahweh when he got back home on that holy ground. That little slave girl's faith gave her the courage to speak. That increased the faith of the other servants to also speak in faith, which allowed God to act, and it converted an army leader. This is from the Catechism, paragraph 340. God wills the interdependence of creatures, the sun and the moon, the cedar and the little flower. No creature is self-sufficient. Creatures exist only in dependence on one another, to complete each other, in service of each other. God wills the interdependence of humans, right? We saw all of that in Naaman. God also wills the interdependence of humans and angels. Yes, humans and angels. Angels are the spiritual creatures who serve God in his saving plan for humans. So, I'm always like to look at the glass half full type of girl, right? I'm, I'm an optimist, sometimes to a fault, an optimist. But we know that one third of the angels were cast out of heaven, right? So how many angels are left for us to call upon? Two thirds, right? A lot of angels. So how do we know like how many? In Revelations 5, 11 and 12, John talks about this. I looked again and heard the voices of many angels who surrounded the throne. They were countless in number, so many he couldn't even count them. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You just imagine that? Countless in number. Angels, so many, they're countless in number, all singing together, singing together, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So the whole life of the church benefits from the mysterious and powerful help of angels. The angels surround Christ and serve him, but especially in his mission to save us. And from its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by the watchful care and intercession of angels. This is Revelation 8.4. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. The incense and the prayers were brought to God by the angel's hand. There's an antiphon sung at the end of a funeral mass called In Paradisium. May the angels lead you into paradise. May the choir of angels receive you. And with Lazarus, who once was poor, may you have eternal rest. And so if you are seeking an answer, really wanting to know like what to do, I encourage you to ask for St. Gabriel the Archangel for his intercession because he is the announcer. If you are seeking healing, the angel responsible for that is St. Raphael the Archangel. Ask for his intercession because he is the healer. And if you are seeking protection, the St. Michael the Archangel is the one created to protect us. He is our defender. Ask for his intercession. 
And maybe you have never even looked beside you to know that there's a creature there that God assigned to protect and guide you. Even if you've never paid attention to that creature before, I want you just to thank your guardian angel for all the many times you have been protected and guided. And let us say the angel of God prayer together. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commence me here. Ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule, and to guide. Amen. Amen.